I grew up as a kid in a church where the pastor always called all of those that were born again saints. So whenever you heard the term saints, you know, it wasn't about St. Paul or St. Peter. It was about those of us in the room who, hallelujah, had been born again. The Bible says praise is common among the saints. So when I say praise the Lord, saints, I'm saying those of you who know that you know that you know, go ahead and give God some praise. Well, welcome to the sanctuary. The sanctuary is a place of life. It's a place of hope. It is a place of love. The sanctuary is a place where you belong. And we're so glad that you all decided to join us today. Welcome to those of you, if we have any first-time visitors in the house, we welcome you. Welcome to the sanctuary. For those of you that call the sanctuary church home, welcome home. Good to have you with us this morning. We honor our pastor, Dr. Melvin Reddy, and his wife, Pastor Lisa. They are on assignment this week, and so we continue to pray for them in their absence. And we trust God will bring them back to us safely and that we will get a good report about the work that they are doing in the mission field. Pastor Reddy just completed a series here called The Church on Mission. And if you were here the last several Sundays, you heard him deliver several messages on that topic, and we appreciate his conclusion last week on that series. If you did not hear it or you didn't hear it all, it's online, so please feel free to go on our website or go on YouTube and listen to the message from Dr. Reddy about the church on mission. So he is practicing this week what he was preaching. He is teaching he and his wife this week, and so we are grateful to them for their leadership of the sanctuary and for them being continuous laborers in God's vineyard. Amen. I'm going to jump right to the scripture today. I want to get right into it and start reading and, 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 and get started as quick as I can because we have a lot of ground to territory, a lot of ground to cover. I think that's what I meant to say. A lot of ground to cover. And uh, I want to make sure that I get you out of here no later than 2.30. So we want to... Did I say something funny? No, we've already timed it. Don't worry about it. It's, it's nice and short, nice and quick. It won't, we won't be here long at all. We'll be here just as long as the Lord says for we need to be here. Amen. I'm going to start in the book of John. I'm talking about John the Baptist. So we're going to go right to John, John chapter 1, and begin at verse 35. The Word of God says, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, He said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. 
You know, when I uh, read this scripture, when I first saw verse 42 in particular, um, you know what it said to me? Um, I mean, think about it. These two men, Jesus and Simon, had, had never met before. And Jesus, upon seeing Simon Peter, immediately knows, because he is God after all, all that Peter is going to do in the future. And right away he declares, there he is, the rock, Peter. And Peter in Greek, of course, means stone. And what it made me think about was all of us. Me, you. God already knows who you are, even if you don't. Peter doesn't know what his future holds. Peter doesn't know that he's going to become a disciple of God. Jesus meets Peter for the first time and tells him, your name's going to be Cephas. Your name's going to be a stone. Of course, Peter goes on to become one of Jesus' most famous disciples. He, he shows a fierce devotion to Christ. He gives an incredible speech at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He's one of the missionaries to the early church after Christ dies. So on this day, when Jesus meets him for the first time in person, Jesus named him not for what he was, but for what, by God's grace, he would become. And for us today, I want you to know, God knows who you are, and you matter to God. Your destiny is no mystery to God. You're going to do things years from now that are already ancient history to the one who created the universe. Peter was somebody who had human failings. Jesus knows that after he dies, Peter is actually going to deny him. And yet with full confidence, the creator is able to say, this is the rock. Now, when you go and read those scriptures after Jesus is gone and, and Peter denies him three times, you wouldn't be thinking to yourself, this doesn't look like much of a rock. But that's just how our God is. He's able to use us even in our weakness. Our shortcomings are not shortcomings for him. And Peter's future is so sure and so certain that even though Jesus knows the mistakes he's going to make, he knows that he's going to deny him three times, he still says with full confidence, there he is, Peter, the rock. And if he speaks that confidently about someone who we know, because it's written in the book, has the human failings that we know he's going to have, he has the doubts Peter does that we know he's going to have, then one thing that should do for us is give us a little more confidence that maybe he can overlook our weaknesses too. We haven't prayed like we should. We haven't attended church like we should. We haven't fasted like we should. We haven't read our Bible like we should. But God is still able to use us just like he used Peter. God is still able to say, 
I know you. When I picked you, I didn't expect you to be perfect. I knew ahead of time what was going to happen. He expresses publicly this confidence in Peter, knowing full well that Peter will publicly deny him later. And yet he confidently says, this is Peter. I'm, I'm so confident in you, I'm changing your name. No more we're going to call you Simon. From now on, we're going to call you who you really are. You are a rock. Humans often say, when we are thinking about those who support us or, or those who claim to be our friends or whatever, there's a, there's a saying we use sometimes, which is like, what have you done for me lately? We have this notion that you know, we tend to have short-term memory, and sometimes we don't remember those who helped us out early on, or sometimes when somebody does something wrong, we have a recency bias where... What I remember is that you offended me last week. I may not necessarily remember how you were helpful to me last year or how you were there for me when I needed you five years ago or when I was going through how you prayed for me, et cetera, et cetera. So one thing we know about us as humans is that sometimes we, we have this recency bias and, and we are not nearly as, as forgiving as obviously what Jesus was here. But I think one of the reasons that Jesus was so forgiving, so understanding of Peter and Peter's failings was because Jesus knew Peter. He knew Peter. He never met Peter, but of course he knew Peter. And because he knew Peter, he knew what to expect from Peter. Sometimes one of the reasons we get discouraged is because we have expectations that are for perfection. And there's never been a perfect human. Well, there was one, but they crucified him. There's never been a perfect human. Everybody makes mistakes. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory and honor of God. But God already knows you. I don't know you. I don't know everything there is to know about you. The person sitting next to you may not know everything there is to know about you, but God knows you. And knowing everything that he knows about you, God is saying, you matter. I know you and you matter. And he's saying, I can use you to make a difference. I can use you to make a difference. Right after that, the Bible says in John, still in chapter 1, now going on to verse 43, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can any good come from there, Nathanael asked? Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. 
Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, again, in verse 47, Jesus, he, he, he recognizes Nathanael. I put recognized in quotes, of course, because, again, much like Simon Peter, the two have never actually met. But Jesus recognizes Nathanael and says to Nathanael that he, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree, even before Philip called you. And Nathaniel says, how do you know me? How do you know me, Nathaniel says. Nathaniel knows that he was alone when he was under the fig tree. Verse 47 in the New Living Translation is said this way. As they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. A man of complete integrity. Somebody Jesus never met before. He meets him for the first time. Nathaniel's brought by his brother, just like Peter was, to meet Jesus. And right away, Jesus declares confidently, assuredly, openly, in public. Here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Now, it was common in those days in the home of Israelites for there to be a fig tree that was maybe a place of solitude or solemn meditation. It was common to have a fig tree in your garden. And the proof that Jesus has certainly pierced a private moment that Nathaniel thought was his and his creators alone is how he responds to Jesus. He says to him, you are the son of God. Now, why would he say that when all Jesus said was, I saw you. Why, why would just saying, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you, why would, why would that resonate with Nathaniel in such a way that he would say, you are the son of God? Just because Jesus said, I saw you. It's because Nathaniel knows that nobody could have seen him. No human could have seen Nathaniel, and he knows that. Because in this moment, this was his quiet place. Do any of you have that place in your home where when you go there, you know, the, the kids know not to bother you? You know, like a prayer closet maybe, where when you really want to go hear from God, you go lock yourself off somewhere. It's your quiet place, and everybody knows it's your quiet place, and not to disturb you when you're there. That's probably what Nathaniel was doing. Nathaniel was in a place where he know no human eyes could see him. He may have had some secrets he wanted to share. He may have had some burdens he wanted to unload. So he went to the fig tree, a common place where people go in the Bible. He went to the fig tree, and he had a communion with his creator, with his God, a quiet conversation, a moment of reflection where he knows there's no one around and no one can see him, and he can be honest about who he is, about what he feels, about his dreams, his ambitions. And then after that moment of meditation, his brother Philip brings him to this Jesus 
that he's heard about. And Jesus, right away, right away, recognizes him. Says that he's a genuine son of Israel and a man of complete integrity. And when Philip says, how do you know me? Thinking maybe Jesus had heard about him. Maybe Philip was bragging about him. You know, it could have been anything. When Philip, when, when Nathaniel asked him, how do you know me? Jesus' response is an indication that he has eyes beyond human eyes. Jesus' response is an indication that when Nathaniel thought he was in his secret place, Jesus was there as well. In both of these cases, with Peter and Nathaniel, Jesus is giving us a glimpse into how he knows us. He knows our secrets, like he knows Nathaniel's secret prayers. He knows our future in the way he already knew Peter's future. He knows our failings. He knew Peter was going to deny him three times. Pastor Lista preached a sermon back in February one Sunday. Failings does not equal failure. Jesus knew that there was going to be some, some fallings, that there was going to be some mistakes that Peter was going to make. And yet, nevertheless, not every mistake, not every falling is fatal. When God gave a message of hope to his people in the book of Jeremiah, he said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, at this time in Jeremiah, they might have been in the middle of a 70-year Babylonian captivity. But somehow, God always allows a message to be sent to us. A word in the middle of our current circumstance, which is there to remind us. It's there to help us to remember. It's an opportunity for him to say, I know you and I got you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can still have a hopeful future despite what your current circumstance may be. Whether it's a physical captivity like they were experiencing during this Babylonian period, or whether we're constrained in some other way. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities in high places. It's, there's often a battle going on, and sometimes it's a battle in our mind. The stress that we experience, the enemies who come against us in our natural lives, in our family, in, at school, at work, whatever the case may be. But God sends a message to say, your current situation is not necessarily going to be your future. For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And yes, there are those who have us captive. There are those who are arrayed against us in some way. They may be jealous or worse. 
But our current circumstances, even though they are not perfect, the scripture teaches us in Luke chapter 12, verses six and seven say, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So not only does God know us, but we matter. He's teaching us that we matter. If the birds of the air matter, if the sparrows matter, and he takes care of them, what more us who were made in his image? You matter to God. You matter to God. Don't let the devil cheat you out of what God has for you. As I often say, the, the devil has no real power over God's people. He's got no power over the saints. God is not too busy dealing with the big issues, you know, the, the famine and the war and all these things that he's not concerned about you, you, you and you individually. Amen. You matter to God. And God cares not just about the big things in our lives, but even the small things matter to him. So often we limit God. You know, we pray for things that are spiritual things, but not natural things. Or maybe we seek God for big things, but not small things. But what we need to do is learn to live in God on an ongoing basis having that conversational relationship with him where we just take everything to him. Amen. He's not going to say, don't bother me with that. You should know how to handle this on your own. He wants us to bring all of our cares to him. First Peter 5 and 7 says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I learned a lesson when I was a young boy. I've actually told this story before at the sanctuary. I've learned a lesson when I was a young boy. I don't even remember how old I was right now, but I remember I was in school and it was, um, we had test day coming up. And I can remember so clearly my teacher telling us that it was very important on test day that we bring a number two pencil to class because we were going to be taking a Scantron test and we had to have a number two pencil that day. And like I said, I've told this story before, but it fits so well in this particular passage of scripture. Because what I remember about that experience is that the day of the test, I was at school walking down the hallway on my way to class. And it hit me that I did not have a number two pencil. And I remember the moment it hit me. You know, it was one of those moments where, you know, it hits you in your mind, but you have a physical reaction. You know, we all do that when something hits you, go, oh, right? Like, like your, your body kind of jerks. And so I remember I was walking down the hall and it hit me that I didn't have that number two pencil. And our teacher had told us, don't come to class without a number two pencil. And I remember when it hit me because I was walking down the hall and I kind of went, oh. And then I remembered that she had said to get a pencil. And then I dropped my head because I knew I didn't have one. And I was like, oh. And I saw a number two pencil laying right there on the floor. <laughs> Now, 
And I remember in that moment when I said, oh, God, and I saw that number two pencil. One of the things, one of my, one of my reactions was surprised that God cared. Like, aren't you kind of busy? Don't you have other things to do? Why are you worried about me having a number two pencil? But as a young boy, that, that lesson has gone with me my entire life. The story of that number two pencil. It shapes how I think, how I approach the world, how I relate to God. Knowing that he cares about something as small as a young boy having a number two pencil. So when I get into deep water, and I'm dealing with really big issues, health issues, wealth issues, spiritual issues, what do you think I do? Knowing that he cared about a little boy not having a number two pencil. God expects us to use those experiences as building blocks, right? This week, a number two pencil. Next week, a bicycle. <laughs> These things become building blocks for us. We believe God. We begin to pray with confidence. Yes. Yes, sir. And that's the way God has worked throughout my life. Giving me experience after experience. Moving me from a number two pencil to prayers and, and fulfillment of prayers in my education, in my career, in my marriage, in my spiritual life, just continuing to bless me, continuing to show me that not only does he know me, but that I matter. You matter to God. Dr. Reddy, our pastor, talks about know, grow, and go being the vision for this church. We got to know God. We got to grow in God. And we're a missional church, so we're going to go. We're talking about growing in God. We're talking about having those early experiences that give us that confidence to begin to build more and more in relying on him, in trusting him, in knowing that nothing is too small for us to take to him, in knowing that he's going to give us an answer. And the answer is always the right answer. The fact that he gave us the answer makes it the right answer. So we grow in confidence. I had that experience as a young man, and years after that, the things that unfolded in my life, and I can't tell them all to you today. We'll have to do that another time. But throughout my teenage years, being filled with the Holy Ghost at the age of 15, having an opportunity to go to college when I had no desire to go to college. I'm going to just be honest with you about that. I, I was at home, and I remember saying, I can't wait to get out of high school so I can just go make some money. I don't want to go to college. Just give me the money. Let's just go straight for the money. I was one of those kids when I was young, I sold bubble gum to the other kids in school. <laughs> I was an entrepreneur, all right? But I remember there was a preacher that came from out of town to our church. And this is not in my notes. I'm not sure why I'm telling this today. Somebody must need to hear this. And, and, and the preacher was from Houston, actually. And he gave me a word of prophecy. And he said several things to me. And one of the things he said to me was that I was going to go to college. Now, because of my faith in God, 
Once God told me I was going to college, I made my mind then I was going to go to college because I don't, I don't want to be outside of the will of God. So the minute he said go to college, I'm like, okay, money's going to have to wait. I'm going to have to go to college. But I was not a great student. I actually was a C student, did not really do that well in school. But because of my thinking about this prophecy that I got, which was early, this was not, this was not uh, later in life when I was getting ready to go to college. It was actually pretty early in my high school career. Because of that, I'd made up my mind that I was going to go, and I was looking for opportunities to go to college. And so I found an opportunity to attend a college that was open admissions, didn't care about my SAT score, didn't care about what my grades were. And so I was able to get into college and was able to try to figure it out because neither my mother or father had gone to college. And I remember very clearly my first semester, I, not even, I wasn't in school yet. This is just a registration process. And I remember so clearly when I was reading the materials from the school and they had each class listed and they had next to it the credit hours. And I was like, what is credit hours? I don't know what that is. Somebody had to explain to me what credit hours are because I didn't know what they were. And I remember, again, the story of that number two pencil. I prayed to God, and I was like, look, if this is something you want me to do, you're going to have to make a way to do it. I don't have the money to go. I don't have the, I don't have the smarts to go. If you really are telling me I'm going to college, you're just going to have to make a way. And I just trusted God that he was going to make a way, and he did. And that's a little bit of a long story, so I'm just going to tell you the short piece of it, which is when I got ready to go to college, there was a family in Houston that took me in and let me stay with them. And so that took care of my first semester of not having the ability to stay on campus and, and, and pay for room and board. And they were a blessing in my life and, and the husband is still a mentor of mine. His wife has since passed away. And then once I got into school, God just kept doing it for me. It's just like that number two pencil. He just kept opening more and more doors for me. Opportunities that I was not even looking for I became a resident advisor in the residence hall. The resident advisor is the guy who tells you you're doing stuff wrong. You know, you need to get rid of that beer, get that girl out your room, you know, whatever those things are. And as a resident advisor, you get free room and board. So once again, after spending my first year with that family, I got to go on campus, get free room and board because I was a resident advisor. And then this same kid who didn't have the grades to get into a bachelor's program, didn't have the SAT scores to get into a bachelor's program, I realized that God wanted me to go on to graduate school. Now, how are you going to do that when you can barely get into undergrad school? Still broke, by the way. Still no money. And one of the things that happened to me while I was on campus is I met a lady who had come to our school from Texas A&M University, and she was now working at our school. And she met me. and was telling me about an opportunity to potentially work in residence life at Texas A&M, just like I was doing at the school that I was attending for my undergraduate. And so she put me in touch with some people who were at Texas A&M. And to make a long story short, if it's still possible to do that, I was able to leave my undergrad and go to grad school because of two things. One. When I got ready to go to grad school, the particular graduate program that I applied to, instead of looking at my grades for my entire years that I was an undergrad, I was an undergrad for five years, their program only looked at your grades for the last two years. My last two years were actually pretty good. 
So I got into the graduate program because they ignored my freshman year when I didn't know what a credit hour was. <laughs> and the subsequent semesters that reflected the ignorance of my freshman year. So I get into grad school on the basis of those last two years of my academic performance and the prophecy that I had gotten when I was in high school about going to college, it was specific. What that preacher told me was, you are going to get a scholarship. But I never did in my undergraduate years. Never got a scholarship. You know what happened when I went to grad school? I got a scholarship. You see, God is true. Everything he says is true. Sometimes we have these paradigms in which we apply what he says, and it doesn't fit our paradigm. So he speaks truth, and then we look at our world in our humanness, and we say, okay, that doesn't seem to fit, right? And so since it doesn't fit, maybe that isn't true. But God never lies. His word is always right. Throughout that five-year experience when I was an undergraduate, I'm like, hey, where's my scholarship at? I'm supposed to get a scholarship. No scholarship. What's up with that? But God was faithful. The same God that gave me that number two pencil gave me a scholarship to go get a business degree in graduate school at Texas A&M University. This is why I never take any credit for anything I do, because God is the one who's always doing it. Every step of the way, he's just doing it. It's unfolding and unfolding, just like that number two pencil. And I got testimonies like that that just go on and on and on. Academically, financially, just over and over again. He just keeps doing it for me. And I trust him. I believe that he's going to do it because he's done it before. And as you begin to believe him for the small things, then you move up to the medium things, then you move up to the big things. Next thing you know, you really do believe you can move mountains because it says so in his word. And you learn to to stand on God's word. Is it too late to get back to my text? Let's see. (laughs) The scripture that we were reading in 1 Peter 5 and 7 that says, cast all your cares upon him. You know what else is in that same scripture in 1 Peter 5, verse 8 through 10? It also says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You see, when he delivers you from your number two pencil situation, whatever that is in your life, then you have to trust him. You have to let him do more. You have to grow in him. Let him perfect you. Let him establish you. Let him strengthen you. 
Let him settle you. Desire a more intimate relationship with God. One that just becomes conversational, right? You, you, don't, you don't have to stop what you're doing, get down on your knees, put your hands together and pray. You just have this conversational relationship with God. I do that all the time with me and God. My, uh, I have an aunt who lives in uh, Houston. She said something one time that made me laugh. I have to share it with you guys. It, it was a, a situation where she was talking to my mother and the, uh, the phone rang and the, I'm not gonna go through all the details of the situation, but in this particular situation, she said, okay, God, that's for you. And I love that terminology, okay, God, that's for you. Because anytime I come across anything that's a hurdle, I just say, okay, God, what you gonna do? I know, I know you're gonna do something, because you always do. You have a way of getting, through, getting me through every situation. I don't know what you're gonna do this time, but I'm just sitting back looking forward to watching you work. Because that's the way my God is. Now, you know what those verses in Peter don't say? Those verses we just read, they don't say that we should worry. Yes, we should be sober. Yes, we should be vigilant. We need to watch as well as pray. But it doesn't say, and you should also be worried as well. In fact, not only is worry not a good thing, God forbids it. In Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, the word of God says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. What are we supposed to pray about? Everything. Everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So he's actually forbidding us from worrying. He's saying that's, that, it's not even okay for you to do that. I want you to be sober. I want you to be vigilant. All those things are good. But what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to worry. In fact, in the book of Mark chapter 8, he actually rebukes the disciples for worrying. At verse 16, he said, at this they began to argue. This is when they didn't have enough bread. At this they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember, remember, don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? 12, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he asked them. At what point will you just relax and have confidence in me? That's really what he's asking them. At what point will you just relax and know, I know you, you matter, and I got this. I got this. 
You don't need to worry. All you're doing by worrying is making your condition even worse. God forbids us from worrying. He wants us to remember the same way he challenged the disciples to remember. They had witnessed his miracle of the loaves. And yet here they are in a similar situation with no bread. And, and they're all upset, blaming one another. Weren't you supposed to get it? No, I thought you were supposed to get it. Worried about a natural thing, having enough food to eat. And Jesus said to them, don't you remember? Don't you remember? You were there. You were there for the number two pencil. Don't you remember what I did for you? I'm the same God now that I was then. I never forget about the number two pencil. Because remembering about the number two pencil is what gave me confidence later when I was dealing with a university environment I'd never been in before. Parents couldn't help me because they hadn't been to college before. No older brothers or sisters to walk me through the process. But I had that number two pencil. I had that experience where God said, I know you. I know what you know and what you don't know, and I got you. Don't worry about it. I got you. Me and you, we can do this. I remembered again when I didn't have finances. And I was in college and couldn't afford to get the books that I needed for school. And to be honest, I was upset, mad because my parents weren't rich. Why can't they put me to school like other parents of other kids put them to school? And I remember my mother and father had come to town. They lived in San Antonio. I lived in Houston. They come to town, and I was riding around with my mother one day, feeling sorry for myself because I couldn't afford to buy the book that I needed for the government class that I was taking at the time. And I was sitting in the back seat of the car, and my mother pulled up to this secondhand shop and I think her and her sister went in they were looking at some things in the secondhand shop and she sent my cousin back out to the car to get me because I stayed in the car because that's what you do when you're pouting. <laughs> she sent my cousin back out to the car to get me and said tell him to come in here and take a look at these shoes. They have some shoes in here. I want him to try them on and see if he can fit them. So I got out the car, went in the secondhand store and tried on the shoes and didn't get the shoes, but while I was in there, I saw they had a collection of books over on the side. So I walked over and I was looking at these books that they had in there, and some of them were actually university books. Some of them were books that were for college, but they were all old, because people give their old books to these kinds of secondhand stores. And I remember thinking, maybe if I can get an older edition of the book that I really need for school, I can just figure out a way to make it work. Because I saw a book on the shelf that was like the second edition of Texas government. But I needed like the fourth or fifth edition or something. So I picked up the book anyway, was flipping through it, trying to see, you know, could I possibly use it? Maybe if I had a really good classmate at school, they would let me compare my book to their book, and I'd find a way to use this out-of-date book for my class. And as I was flipping through the pages, looking at the book, I was mostly reading the headings at the top. I wasn't really paying much attention to the smaller words in the body 
of the pages. I was mostly just flipping through, kind of trying to read the headings. And at one particular place in the book when I was flipping through, there was some paper in the, in the spine of the book. You know how the book is like this, and there was something, somebody had put some paper in there. And I was ignoring it because I was busy reading the headings that was in the book. And when I looked down to see what this piece of paper was that somebody had left in the book, it was two $20 bills. And I took those two $20 bills. First of all, I bought the book. <laughs> and I took those two $20 bills, and I was able to actually buy the book that I needed for my class for Texas government. I never got rid of that book. I still have that Texas second edition book at my house because it's my memorial. It reminds me of what God can do. It reminds me every time I see it that I wasn't even praising him that day. I was pouting. But you know what he said? I know you. I know you. And you matter. And the rest, as they say, is history. There's a lot more to it, but I don't want to bore you. God is a good God. No, nothing that I did. I, I can't stand here and tell you that I did this or I did that. I, can't, I never had a career plan for myself. God just kept opening doors, opening doors, opening doors, making a way, making a way. And I just kept trusting him. You know, I'm, I'm an investor. So my whole attitude is if I invest in something and it works, I'm going to invest in it again. And that's what God has been in my life. He's been a very good investment. He keeps on doing great things for me. And I trust him. I trust him. God wants you to trust him. He wants you to have an intimate relationship with him where you trust him for everything. You pray about everything and you worry about nothing because God knows you, you matter, and he's got you. Clap your hands and tell the Lord thank you. In Mark 8, Verse 34, the word of God says, then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. There are sacrifices that he's asking us to make. God is a jealous God. He wants us to put him first. Now, it'll be worth it, but he wants you to put him first. He wants you to be willing to deny yourself everything that this world has to offer and focus on him. But he assures us that if we focus on him, he will take care of everything we need in this world. So it's all about our priorities. It's all about how we prioritize. And how can we feel comfortable denying ourselves? Because we know God's got us. That's how we can feel comfortable denying ourselves, because we know God's got us. The reason I can deny myself is because I know God's going to take care of it. I may not know how to make these two ends meet, 
But if I focus on him, he'll focus on everything else. This is how we can have confidence. This is how we can know that we can deny ourselves because we know that God's got us. I like what Luke says in chapter 12, verse 22. We must not worry about earthly things. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? God knows you. You matter, and he's got you. You just have to trust him for everything. The natural things, the spiritual things, the physical things, the financial things, it doesn't matter. Trust him for everything. My God is a God of more than enough. He's not going to run out. The reason we can rejoice with them that do rejoice is because we know if he did it for them, he'll do it for us. He's a God of unlimited supply. We just have to trust him. We just have to build that spiritual confidence. We just have to grow in him. Become mature saints of God. Knowing that no matter what captivity you might be in, God's got you. This too shall pass. Your future is secure. And even when you slip, when you fall, like Pastor Lisa said, that's not failure. That's not failure. That fallen moment's going to become a testimony about how God raised you back up, put you back on the right track, overlooked the fact that you denied him three times, and God said, you are a rock. You are a rock. You're not your circumstances. You're not your failings. You're what God intended for you to be. because he's the one that's the enabler. He's the one who's actually doing it. He's just using your hands, your mouth, your feet to do it, but he's the enabler. He's the one that's actually making it happen. Which is why we always say, to God be the glory. Let's all stand for prayer. I want to issue you a challenge today. I want to challenge you to really 
try God. We talked last week about there's some people who went to church today because it's Sunday, and so they checked the box. They said, okay, Sunday, go to church. Yep, box checked. But if you put yourself in a place where you really experience God, this is the only promise I can ever make you. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. God knows you. He knows what you're going through. He knows that private prayer that you prayed in your closet. Yes, sir. He saw you. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. He saw you. He heard you. He cares for you. Yes, sir. He has a future planned for you. Do not let the devil steal your joy. No matter how dark it gets, it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. Look to the hills, saints. I promise you, there's victory in them dead hills. going to open this altar. We have prayer warriors in this building. If you want to come to the altar, somebody will pray with you. We have placards on the floor that allow you to continue to social distance. But I want you to get your breakthrough today. If you have a desire to do so, you can come to the altar at this time and someone will pray with you. Psalms 139. The scripture says, Oh Lord, you've examined my heart. And you know everything about me. You know, when I sit down, you know when I stand up. You know my thoughts. Even when I'm far, far away, God knows you. You matter. And he's got you. Trust God. Is anyone today that would desire to come to the altar for prayer. This altar's open.